Well, amen. Well, oh, we got one guy left. Okay. Okay. There we go. Good, 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 good. Well, praise the Lord. I tell you. Ted Cheeks, Waski, eh? I tell you. I tell you. Uh, well, we're, we're, well, we're in this wonderful passage of Scripture, this wonderful st- um, uh, s- a sermon by uh, Stephen. One of the things I love about expository preaching is you go through passages of Scriptures that you probably would never go through. And uh, I, I don't know, in, at my age, if I would ever, ever get another opportunity to go through Acts chapter 7. And I've just really enjoyed it. You know, we realize that Stephen is on trial for his life, isn't he? You know, he, the uh, charges happen to be that he speaks against the temple and temple worship. He's blaspheming the law of God. And what Stephen does through, throughout this sermon is he's not so much, again, defends himself, but shows the guilt of the Israelites and also the Sanhedrin who have rejected the law. They are, they are the true blasphemers, again, of the law. And he does that, again, primarily through the, through the testimony of Moses. He points out Moses did all of these signs and wonders. It was, a, it was beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was God's anointed one. Also, living oracles came through him, but they rejected. The people rejected. They rebelled against Moses, just like all those in Israel at this time were rejecting him. And the problem was not a lack of revelation or a lack of knowledge for who God was. And we saw that last time we were together because we looked at uh, verse number 39, which says, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And then it speaks of the problem. And here it is. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. And when it says they thrust him aside, they're speaking metaphorically that they just did away with Moses. And not only Moses, but Moses is God. You know, and the problem here is not external. It's the human heart, isn't it? And when we talk about the human heart, we're not just talking about intellect. We're just not talking about our thinking. We're not just talking about how we comprehend things. But we're talking about the totality of everything that goes on. It includes our thinking, but it includes our desires, our emotions, our longings. You know, all those things that happen to begin inside of us. It doesn't mean that just because we have the right information that we will do the right thing. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we sang about this this morning, that God wants us to be holy, but we can still go in the direction of lust. We know through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven, and we know that God wants us to be forgiving people. But so often we can hold these grudges, this unforgiveness that happens to begin in each one of our hearts. And we many times know the right thing, but knowing the right thing and doing the right thing are two separate things. And here's the problem. The problem is the human heart. And what we come to in this passage of Scripture is the greatest problem, the greatest manifestation of evil that comes out of the human heart. And what it is, again, is this. It is faulty worship. You know, it's worshiping something other than this great God that happens to be again above. And when you look at many people, many people come out many times, and they might come out to a service like this, and they might find that the preaching of God's word is the bo- most boringest thing that happened to begin in the world. You know, it, um, I, I went by a church sign once, and it says, uh, do, you, do, you, do you have tr- trouble uh, sleeping? We have sermons inside. You know, and, uh, and anyways, I took great offense at that. But anyways, it, it's, it's amazing to look at that and see it, because that's the way m- many people think. You know, I just have problem worshiping God. And let me tell you, you know, you don't have tr- uh, tr- trouble worshiping. You have trouble worshiping the wrong thing. You know, if somebody is apathetic towards God, if somebody is wandering away from God, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that they're excited about something else. Something else has captured their hearts. You know, and when you look at, look at John Calvin once, um, once said that the heart of man is an idol factory, and he couldn't be more right. You know, it constantly is bringing up things that happen to be in creation, things that happen to be again around us. Us, us are bringing that authority that ought to have God in our lives. And really, when you look at um, the two big idols of our society, and may I even say the two big idols that happen to be in the church are this, are money and sex, materialism, and, and again, sex. When you, when you look at materialism, when you look again at your closet and how stuffed full it is of clothes, and then you go, go into the store and you say, I need that item. You know, there's something wrong, isn't there? When, when, when you look at how much people think about money and how much, again, it even gives us a rush many times. We've all known that rush of getting something new. And materialism is a lot more part of our life than we love to, to uh, think about. And the uh, same thing with sex. I think over the last 10 years, almost every week, there's been a story about some high-profile uh, Christian, our, our, our pastor, who has fallen into sin, fallen into gross sexual sin. You know, and we look at that and we say they, they, they fell and we're surprised by that. But the fall just didn't happen right there. It happened way before because it's what's going on in the human heart. And if that's what's going on in the pulpit so often, we wonder what's going on with the lust, with the cravings that happen to be again in the congregation. You know, so the question I want us to really grapple with this morning is not this. It's not whether you're worshiping or not. If you're breathing today, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are worshiping. The question is, what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? What has taken that central place in your life that, 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 that's, that you're all? You know, if I could just have this, I could have joy. I could have pleasure. I could have meaning. I could have satisfaction. That happens to be again in my life. You know, what is that central thing that happens to be in your life? And we realize, for those that happen to begin outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, the implications of this. The implications of this, if people, again, keep on those idols that happen to begin in their life, they will go in a direction away from God. You know, they, they would be damned for all of eternity. They'll never trust the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also realize the implications of our lives. You know, as a people of God, that we can be drawn away by our own lust. And think about it. Think about being so content... Right? right, Because we realize fullness of joy is found in the presence of Jesus Christ. And can you imagine being so content in your life that you're not driven by bodily urges? Can, can, can you imagine being so content that having to be in your life, if you never bought a new item in your life again, you could be content because you have your all in Jesus Christ? You know, contentment, really being satisfied with everything that Jesus is for us, is a rare jewel in Christianity today. And so I really want us to look at and ask the question, what are we worshiping? I want us to, again, somehow give us some tools to help us in this battle that happens to be there. And our prayer, again, should be the prayer of David in Psalm chapter 19, where he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Listen to what he says next. Keep, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. And he says this, let them not have dominion over me. It's incredible the things of our heart that have dominion over us. If these things don't have dominion over us, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, what's going on inside of me, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock 
and my Redeemer. And I wonder, is that our prayer this morning? You know, with everything that's going on in our life, is that what we see most of all, that we need this Redeemer, we need this rock, we need Jesus Christ, we need contentment in him? He's all that I need. Or is it something else? Because the two points that I want us to make this morning as we look again at Israel, so I want us to recognize that idols are inventions of people's hearts. You know, they take place inside of us. We construct these various different gods. And the other thing that I want us to realize is no matter, again, what lies we tell us, there is absolutely no true lasting satisfaction that comes through our idols. You know, but first of all, I want us to see the idols are inventions of the heart. And you can see that in verses 39 and following. And just follow along in, uh, here, here uh, Stephen's sermons. He says, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. You know, it's amazing. Because some of the, we realize that the word of God, again, teaches that God made us in our image. And somebody has once quipped that we've returned the favor and really made God in our own image, you know, in our own likeness. And that couldn't be more true. You, you, you know, I'm always amazed at this. When you look at people and you ask people, if we just went down to the waterfront and we asked 100 people, the first 100 people that we, went, that we came across, if they believe in God, short question, no strings attached. You know, I would say probably 90 to, to the high 90s probably would say yes, they believe in God. You know, and, and if you went further and asked them one other question, who is God? You know, it would pro probably their answer would begin like this. I think God is like. And let me tell you, that's great because that tells me beyond a shadow of a doubt about the God that you've constructed in your own heart. But it does not tell me about who God is. The only way that I can know the true God, right? God is spirit. The only way that I can know the true God, this is the only way, is if he communicates with me. And he communicates with us through what is called the word of God, doesn't he? But it's incredible, you know, yes, there is a God. Can you think of anything more important than knowing this God? You know, and truly investigating that. And this is the same as ancient Israel. They've thrown off the scriptures long ago, you know, and went after their tradition, so much so that when the Messiah finally came, they didn't even recognize him. And when it became evident that he was Messiah, they, they rebelled and did away with him. They wanted nothing to do with him. And let me just say that uh, even as a people of God, even though we've been given the spirit of God, even though we've been given new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're, no, we're not off the hook in this. Because I think a lot of times, you know, we'll hear the preaching of God's word and we'll hear the preacher, you know, he'll take a verse and he'll apply it to our lives and we'll see our sin. And then we'll sit there and we'll say, yeah, I know what the scripture says. I know what he's saying. But, isn't it true? And we argue against the text that somehow my situation is different from those that happen to begin around me. You know, uh, I don't have a trouble with materialism. You don't know, you don't, you don't know, but I just think that this is great just to have one of those other purchases. I just like the way it feels. I was talking to one lady one time, and she told me, you know, they were heavily in debt, but every time she felt depressed, she would go to the store and she would buy something. And it gave her an instant rush. 
And it's incredible because I think materialism, if we don't examine our hearts, is part of our life more than we think. Because I think the only sin that we think about in Christianity today is credit card debt. You know, somebody's, here they are, they use it, they use it, they use it. As long as I can afford it, it's not sin. You know, and we forget that everything that we have is a stewardship from our great God that happens to be above. You know, to be used for his glory, to be used for his praise. You know, but that materialism captures our hearts over time because it's one purchase after another 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 purchase. You know, and we do this all of the time. And it's the same thing again with sex. You know, it's incredible how our world, how our society, and even the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has made this the epitome of life. Isn't it? The great idol, the great golden calf. If I could just have this, I could be satisfied. And it's incredible. And like I say, it's incredible how many pastors over the last 10 years have fallen into moral compromise in this area. You know, there's what's called in uh, ministry called the tenderness trap. And I don't know if you've ever heard it. But it basically goes like this. You know, there happens to be, again, a man and there happens to be a female congregate. And somehow, again, the pastor, somehow the counselor will listen again to the female congregation, will listen about the difficulties and problems. And all the while, because the man is married, and marriage can be messy. You know, it's not perfect. There's problems. There's difficulties. There's all these things. There's kids. There's bills and all these things. You know, the woman, all of a sudden, will really take to the guy. You know, she'll look at him and say, I wish my husband was this understanding. I w- and, and the guy will, in, in the other thing, I wish my wife was just as appreciative of that. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a line cross. We're always drawing lines, and we're always jumping over them. And all of a sudden, there's nothing sexual going on. But I just think, if I come out to church, you know, I would love to see them. I'd love to be in their presence. I'd love to associate with them. You know, and that line is crossed. You know, and there's this talk, there's this overflow, there's this sharing, there's this emotional attachment that goes, there's this sharing of these things that happen. You know, and all of a sudden... Somewhere along the line, they touch. It could be inadvertent. They, they touch hands, you know, walking by. And all of a sudden, it seems like there's a jolt of electricity. You know, it felt so good that all they think about, you know, is I'd like to, nothing sexual yet, right? But there's another line that's crossed. All of a sudden, I want that touch next week. You know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong, wrong in and of itself in touch, is there? You know, we can embrace somebody. You know, we can tell them that, that, that we care about them. But there's something more here that's going on. You know, there's that warm embrace. There's an embrace that's a little longer, that's a little longer, that's a little longer. And somewhere along the line, these lines keep on being crossed. You know, they have a ministry uh, to fallen pastors over in Michigan. You know, and the, uh, some of these pastors are pastors of churches that happen to be, again, in the thousands that have fallen into moral compromise, and they all have the same thing. I don't know how I got here. And here it is, by crossing one line after another line. There's no way my heart would ever go there. But here's the thing. You know, once our hearts start to get captured, little decision after little decision after little decision, you know, after a while, whatever happens to be in the human heart ends up coming out. 
And you can see that in our text. Because I think we're shocked, aren't we? Because here, here's this huge scene that happened to begin on Mount Sinai, all this lightning, all of this thunder, you know, smoke, the trumpet being there. And all of a sudden, Moses disappears. And when Moses disappears from that whole scene, they're told to wait, aren't they? And as they wait, these gods that happen to be inside them, these idols that happen to be inside them, these thoughts, these desires, start to play in their minds, start to play in their minds, starting to play in their minds until they audibly confess that this is what they want. Right? We saw that in verse number 39, right? The problem was the hearts. But in verse number 40, it says this. You know, this is where they come to fruition, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know not what has become of him. You know, and it's almost like Moses has, is out of their sight. God is out of their sight. He disappeared. The ever-present God has deserted them. And think of it. Because again, I, I cannot say it clear enough. It's not that there's a lack of re, uh, revelation here. It's not that somehow they are unaware that there's this holy God who reigns. I mean, they saw the ten plagues. Imagine seeing those ten plagues. Imagine passing and seeing the walls of the Red Sea and passing in the midst of that. Imagine seeing it coming crashing down and destroy the most powerful army. Imagine being led by a pillar of fire by night. Imagine being led by this pillar of smoke by the day. Imagine all of that. The problem was not revelation, wasn't it? Right? Right? Here it is. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here is God. It's irrefutable. And think of the Sanhedrin because it's the same thing, isn't it? Is Jesus the Messiah? The great question, right? Here's all of these signs and wonders. Irrefutable. Here's his teaching. Irrefutable. Here they put him to death and he rises again. Irrefutable. Here he ascends back up into heaven and his followers start preaching and they start doing signs and wonders. Irrefutable. But where are they? They have Stephen on trial for his life at this time. And we're always looking. You know... When we want these gods that happen to be again right here, we're always looking for something, right? We know God's there, but it's almost like we push him aside, and all we can see is what's happening to be in front of us. You know, I'm so depressed. I have so many problems at home. The kids are rebelling. Uh, my, my spouse is nagging me. All I want is a little relief, right? And choose your idol. There's an excuse. And we go in that direction. We start daydreaming, maybe about even having a relationship, maybe about having a different life with somebody else. And our hearts, we, we don't realize it, but there's, 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 there's those metaphorical lines that happen to be in the sand, and we don't realize it, but we're going over those lines and drawing new lines. No, no, I never go there. Well, well I did, did go there, but I'd never go there. No, 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 but I did. And, and we don't realize we're taking steps taking steps, and here's the thing about the idols that happen to be in their heart, because we never think we're going to do this. You know, people who get attached to their idols never think that they will be realized, manifested, seen, again, uh, uh, in their lives. But that's exactly what's happening. Because look at verse number 41, it says, And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hand. And notice there's a culpability of all of them, Right? 
They made this calf with their hands. What's going on in the heart all of a sudden manifests itself. They now have this opportunity. You know, Moses is away, and they ran with it corporately, not just one of them, but all of them. You know, and really, when you look at idolatry, it's the oldest sin in human history. It's the most condemned sin that happens to be in the word of God. And it deals with what is going on inside of us. We believe the promises that we tell ourselves, and a great exchange happens, isn't it? I mean, a great exchange. Here's God. Here's God. Here's this wonderful God. I mean, what could be greater than this God and this manifestation again of himself? But an exchange takes place. And we're told, and think of these, because these are fearful words. This is how much idols can really get a hold of our hearts. These are fearful words right at the end of verse number 41. It says, we're rejoicing in the works of their hand. In other words, there was some sort of momentary satisfaction, some sort of joy that went a, a, along with this. You know, and right here, they, 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 they looked at these idols, they looked at what they could give them, and they realized beyond a shadow of a doubt, they could, or at least thought, that they could control them. Now think about it, that's a great exchange that's gone on, isn't it? You know, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 22, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. How did they become fools? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they exchanged something, they exchanged God for something in creation. I mean, it's unimaginable, isn't it? When you think of who God is, that anybody can do this. But it's done all the time. It is really done all the time. And all of us have this inner, right, inner lawyer that happens to be again in our hearts. We have, we have this in our consciences that will appease what we're doing, that will appease the direction that we are going in our life. You know, and it's deceptive. Well, let me just say this, because I think we get this wrong. I think, you know, when you look at it, the heart is deceptive above all things. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Who can know it? Do you really believe that? Because I think a lot of times, well, I am just, think of all these pastors who have fallen. You know, think of all these Christian leaders who have fallen, and, and this is what they believe. Yeah, 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 I realize that the normal person needs these parameters in their life, but guess what? I'm mature enough to handle it. The heart is deceptive. The heart will make an argument to make this appease, to make this um, uh, legitimate. But listen to the end of that, uh, the, listen to that statement again in Romans chapter 1, verse number 22. It says this, claiming to be wise, they became fools. How many people do you know that claim to be wise, but you know in God's sight, they're fools? But you know why this is written? This is written, not this. Look at how evil these Israelites are. It's written because of this. The same heart that the Israelites have exists in me. That same wickedness, that same evil. And here's the question. What are you longing for? 
what do, what do you say beyond a shadow of a doubt? If I could have this, life would work. I could have joy. I could have satisfaction. I could have meaning in my life. What is it? What is drawing you away? Where are you arguing against the text of Scripture and what God has said? And this is an amazing thing about our God. Our God loves us so much that the reason why he puts parameters in our life, the reason why he gives us commands is because he knows what's best and he truly loves us. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that? Because here's the thing about idols. I, I don't promise so much, but they really deliver so little. And they cannot deliver on the thing that many times we seek, and that's ultimate satisfaction. Let me just read those verses again and see if you can follow that through. Beginning at verse number 39 again, it says, Our fathers refused to obey him, speaking of Moses, but thrust him, Moses, aside. In other words, thrust God aside. And in their hearts, that's the problem there. The rest of this passage tells us the manifestation of what is coming out of the heart. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Egypt promised them something, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol. And they were rejoicing in the works of the hand. Now, here's a, here's a unique thing, again, about the people of God. The unique thing about the people of God, because of the work that God has done in our hearts, we have, here it is, a love-hate relationship with sin, don't we? There's a sense where we hate sin. We, we despise sin. We hate, again, that materialism can take over our hearts. We hate, again, the idea, again, that sex can be used in a way that God has not ordained. We hate, again, many, many things that happen to be around us. We complain about many things that happen to be, again, of the world because they're so evil, they're so wicked. You know, and even the scripture backs this up. In 1, Timothy, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. There's a command, if anyone loves the world, here's the warning, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on and describes what that love is, right? That love of the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind. Things going on inside of us. We crave these things. Well, if you happen to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given us new nature. And isn't that amazing? He's given us a new passion for Jesus Christ, to follow him, to love him, to learn of him, to make much of him, right? We want to spend our lives on Christ. Isn't that something? You know, and there's so much to be thankful for, you know, in life of Christ. But like I say, we have a love-hate relationship with, with it. Because so often, here's the thing you have to realize. Sin looks attractive. And I'll even go one step further. Sin, at least for a season, is joyful. Do you believe that? I can remember sitting with a man, a professing Christian, who cheated on his wife. You know, and the sin came out, destroyed his family, his kids wanted nothing to do with him, and brought shame and discord in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it was amazing to talk to him because this is one of the things he said. He said, I knew where this would end up. Now think about it, because that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? I knew where this was going to go. I knew it would end in destruction and pain. And here's the question. If you knew that, 
Why did you do it? And here's the answer. Sin has pleasure. Isn't it true? I mean, if it had no pleasure, right, it, it is not um, attractive to us. I can remember when I was a little boy, I loved certain meats, and I loved potatoes with gravy, and I hated vegetables. And I can remember sitting there for a whole hour, you know, my little arms crossed, I was a five-year-old rebel, sitting at the table for a whole hour with vegetables in front of me, and my mom saying, you're not getting up until you eat it. Now think about it, because still today, you, you know, I like vegetables a lot more, but still today, I, I'm, not, I'm not running to the fridge because there's some carrots in there. <laughs> or, oh, I like, you know, how those green bees, <laughs> oh, I just got to have them. Now, if you put a whole bunch of brown sugar and butter on them, I'm there. I'm there, right? But why? But why? Because when you put brown sugar, when you put a whole bunch of butter on it, guess what? There's some sort of joy. There's some sort of pleasure. There's some sort of satisfaction. Now, here's the danger. That joy, that satisfaction will never last. Right? Why do people keep going back to pornography? It's never one and done. And why? Why do people, oh, you know, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I saw those things. I can't believe I engaged in that activity. But here it is, three or four days, and they're going back to that house again. Why? Right? Because of this. That pleasure cannot last. That satisfaction does not last. You know, think of ancient Israel. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just amazed at this. Well, just before we look at, at ancient Israel, that's what I think our problem is. Our problem, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is we really think that we can fool ourselves, we can control our minds, we can control our hearts, we can control how far we go. But every, every there, right, it, we just get pushed a little further, get pushed a little further. We, we, we bring it in, we bring it in, we bring it in, we bring it in a little more, a little more, a little more, until it has us, until it's captured our heart. You know, and you, you, have, to re, you have to realize that this is what's happening in this passage. Right? There's a delay. There's something going on in the human heart. There's something that is going on in them. And this is amazing because think, God's still present there. Where are they? Where are they when all this is going on? They're at the foot of what? Mount Sinai. Well, what's on Mount Sinai? All this cloud of smoke. They can see flashes of lightning. They can hear the thunder. They can still hear the trumpet. God is still there. That's not the problem. The problem is what's going on in the human heart. They're taking a little more, a little more, a little more until we finally read these words and we're rejoicing in the works of their hands. Now, let me ask you a question because the gentleman that I sat with that day, let me, let me ask it of Israel. Do you think beyond a shadow of a doubt that they knew that this wasn't going to work out? Do you think beyond a shadow of a doubt, here's this mountain, here's all these things that they saw in Egypt, here's all, all these things they even seen as they were going through to, uh, to Egypt, here's all these flashes of lightning, here's this thunder, here's this trumpet being blasted. 
do they think beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's not a day of accountability? And this is the answer. They know there's a day of accountability. They know this is not going to work out. But why do they go? This is why. Because those gods promised some sort of pleasure, whether it happens to be sensual or whether it happened to be something else. There was something about those gods, something about those fertility gods, something, again, about, about, about the freedom that they gave them as far as their hearts, as far as their passion when they were in Egypt that they wanted. But here's the kicker again. It can never satisfy. Now, let me just make a couple observations and we'll be done. This is real heavy stuff, and I know it is. But let me just make a couple observations again, and, we'll do, and then we'll be done. And one is that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Right? And I think the thing that we have, we have the most problems with are the things that are actually good gifts from God. Right? Isn't it true? You know, I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my wife. You know, I'm thankful for so many things that happen to begin in, in my life. And God has given us many good gifts. And let me just say this about sex. Sex is not a four-letter word. There's nothing dirty about it. There's everything dirty and sinful about fornication. There's everything dirty and sinful about adultery. But there's nothing dirty about sex. God's given, again, as a wonderful gift in certain parameters. But that's all it is, a gift. Right? Uh, money is a gift from God. There's many rich people that happen to begin in the Bible. Abraham was rich, right? right? We, we, we realize even Job was rich. Now, all of his riches were taken away from him. But at the end of the book, guess what? Riches were given back. You know, we realize there's many good and godly people that are rich. Riches aren't a problem. You know, we realize this. Food's not the problem. Food's a gift of God. I'm so glad God gave me taste buds. I was thinking about that the other day. I was eating something. I was trying to think of the taste. I was trying to describe it. That happened to be again in my mouth. It was so pleasant. I was just praising God. God, thank you that I can taste this and I can enjoy this. Food is not sinful, but gluttony is. Right? And here's the thing that we tend to do. We tend to take those good gifts that God has given us and make them idols. In other words, take them and usurp them and make them not gifts anymore, but needs, demands that happen to be in our life. I have to have this. As Paul David Tripp used to always say and still says, a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing, a demand. I have to have this in my life. And here's the thing about a gift. I can be thankful for a gift, but if the gift is taken away, guess what it was? It was only a gift, right? right? All my material assets can be all of a sudden be gone. And guess what? It's all right. And you know why? It was only a gift. You know, my friend, one of the most godly men that I ever know, uh, knew, his wife died in childbirth. And he never had sex again. He poured his life into raising his young daughter. And he's the most godly man that, that I ever had. And guess what? Sex was a wonderful gift when it was there. 
but that's all it was. You know, and I think we forget about this because think about it. Here's poor Israel. They've come out of Egypt. And have you ever thought about, here it is, they construct this, this calf out of gold. Very elaborate. Now here's the question. Where did the gold come from? I mean, 400 years, most of that time in subjection, where'd the gold come from? And we actually are told, we're told again in Exodus chapter 12, beginning at verse number 35, it says this, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. And listen to what they did. For they had asked the people of, uh, I'm sorry, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. In other words, for the provisions that they would need for the Exodus. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. And listen to what it says next. They plundered the Egyptians. You know what plunder means? I mean, it's just basically take everything. But they asked. There was no force that happened to be a, you're the people. You know, we've got this grave out back of our house of our eldest son, of our eldest child out here because, again, of your God. And what did they do? They freely gave. All the provisions, their clothes would not wear out. God would provide manna every single morning for them to collect, you know, to feed them again on the way. It was incredible, again, to look at the God's provisions. And this was a gift that was given to them. But here's, here's what they did with the gift. Here's the giver of the gift. And they take the gift, and they worship the gift more than the giver of the gift. That's what happens. And all of these great sex, relationships, money, materialism, all of these things. And they come to dominate our hearts and our lives. Here's my plea this morning. Don't be a fool and worship the gift more than the giver. Who he is. Recognize. Use all that we have to worship and adore him. God is such a generous giver. Praise him for the vast riches, again, of his great greatness, for the vast riches, even of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second point I want us to make, again, as we close out this morning, is to know that the things of creation can never satisfy as a God replacement. They can never satisfy as a God replacement. You know, only in the presence of Jesus is there fullness of joy. Only in the presence of Jesus is there true contentment. And let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, even for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to be learned. It has to be cultivated. This greater joy, this greater peace, this greater satisfaction that happens again in Christ. Our problem, when things start to go a little bit wrong that happen to be in our life, we start to look at other things, other people. But let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, idols are empty. Do you believe that? You know, Jeremiah talks about idols in Jeremiah chapter 10. And beginning at verse number 3, Jeremiah writes, For the customs of the people are vanity. In other words, they're absolutely empty. And why are they empty? Listen to what they do. And just think of all the materialism. Think of again of all the things we really crave that happen to begin in this life. All of the passions that happen to begin of our soul. He says, a tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. 
They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. I read this passage a few days ago, just refreshing it in my mind uh, before I preach it. And then I went and opened my closet, and I looked at all the scarecrows in it. You know what? Nothing that I have in my house, and I love many things, and I'm so thankful for many things that I have in the beginning of my house, but nothing in my house can give meaning. Nothing in my house, house can give, here, here it is, that ultimate satisfaction, that ultimate contentment that happens to begin in my life, right? There's always going to be a new fashion. There's always going to be a new electronic item. There's always going to be a new status symbol that happens to be again out there that says, look at what I have. But all they are is scarecrows. That's all they are. They're absolutely lifeless. And here's my whole point, because our foolish hearts are prone to wander. And, oh, Lord, I feel it. I feel that wandering all the time. They are duped into thinking, if I just had another relationship, if I just had more sex, if I just had more material assets or whatever, I could be satisfied. And here's the wonderful thing I love about the gospel. The wonderful thing about the gospel is we were meant for satisfaction. Don't you love that? We were meant for joy. We were meant for pleasure. But that pleasure is found in the only one who says, I have come to give you abundant joy, abundant life. And it's found in Jesus. The challenge for all of us is where are we seeking life? Where are we wandering or even prone to believe these lies? You know, again, I, I think every morning we should wake up and, and, and say these words, this prayer that we started off with, and it's basically this. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let me ask you, what's having dominion over your heart, over your life today? Because here's, here's the glory of the Lord. And this is an amazing thing. People, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to know this. God loves you too much that he will at some time, if you don't take care of your sin, if you don't take care of your idolatry, he will expose your idolatry because he cares and loves you. He will bring it out in the open some way. And the call is to recognize who your deliverer is, who the Lord is, who your ultimate and only Savior is. Whether we're saved here this morning or whether we're not saved here this morning, the message is the same, isn't it? Repent and trust in this one for glorious forgiveness of sins and life abundant, life new. Come to him. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Oh, Father, what a difficult text. Lord, so often we can look at idolatry in other people and shake our heads. Lord, we have no problem seeing it in other people. 
We have no problem seeing materialism run wild. We have no problem, Lord, looking at young people many times who dress as if they are just objects of desire rather than trying to dress in a way that speaks of holiness, a way of speaks of chastity, a way of speaks of honoring you. And God, many times, the only sin that we can think of when it comes to sex is just pornography. The only thing, sin that we can think of when it comes to money is credit card debt. And yet, Lord, these things have captured our hearts, captured our minds. And God, I just pray for each one of us, because each one of us has a deceptive heart. God, I pray, wherever our struggle happens to be this morning, that we would admit it before you that we do have a struggle. But we would go to the one place, the one person who is able to give us the solace, who is able to give us the mercy, who is able to give us the grace, who is able to give us, and will be in the midst of that fight with us, that we would turn to Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you, Lord, for the, for the life that he's given. Just be with us as we conclude now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Brother. Thank you, Pastor.